Genesis 37 through 50. Last week, as we left off, we found Joseph in prison. So we're picking up in chapter 40. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 40. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you'd stand and follow along as I read. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift you up. Excuse me. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only Remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help this morning. Thank you for your word. Amidst all of the uncertainties in our lives, Lord, your word is truth. And so we pray that you would use it in our hearts to draw us to yourself, that you'd speak to us through your word, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
As we are working through this series, story of Joseph and Judah, Genesis 37 through 50, we're not just mining for moral tidbits that we can memorize and then hopefully somehow follow in our lives. We are looking for Jesus, and we are looking to Jesus. We're not looking at the characters in these stories, Joseph, Judah, cupbearers, bakers, as potential heroes. They are characters, and we can see wonderful examples, gospel displays through them. But God is the hero in every story. God is the hero in every text. As we've mentioned throughout this, we are very, very, very prone to look to and cling to Bible Sunday school characters. But God is the main thing in this and every story. We see Him working throughout these chapters. We see Him working in and through Joseph's life to bring about redemption. God is not somehow absent when Joseph is in prison. We've looked as we've gone through the chapters so far at three major themes that run throughout these chapters, place, promise, and providence. And certainly we consider place. God has brought Joseph to a unique circumstance. God has brought him to this place. And it's unique. A unique place to bring about his plan of redemption, redeeming Israel eventually from Egypt. Joseph is now in prison, but we see promise in this. We see God's promise here. Even in the prison, the things that God has said about his people being a blessing to others are evident through Joseph. Even in the prison, God is sustaining Joseph. And it's by his sovereign plan. It is providence that Joseph is here. God sovereignly puts Joseph in charge and eventually over the cupbearer and the baker. And beyond that, Egypt to bring about redemption. God is working here. And so, let's look together throughout the text Verse 1 begins, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Sometime later, now we don't want to look at those words where they are at, comes right after chapter 39, verse 23, so we don't want to assume that this is just the next day. This is 11 years that have passed in Joseph's life. What would those years be like? Certainly not all of that time is this joyful blessing where he's put over the prison and all the things are easy. Remember, we looked last week at the psalm, Psalm 105, 17 through 19. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. It's a long, long season here. Sometime later... So this is occurring after many years of hardship for Joseph. And at this time, it tells us the cupbearer and baker do something to offend the king. We don't know what happens. We don't know what takes place. But the king is offended. And these two men, who had held the life of Pharaoh in their hands because they were in charge of the food and drink that were brought to him, 
Both committed an offense. And both are imprisoned. Put under the watch and care of Joseph. They remained in custody, it says, with Joseph for some time. Verse 5, one night, they both, the baker and the cupbearer, dreamed. However far along in their imprisonment this was, they both had a dream on the same night. But the content of the dreams is what is interesting and left them both perplexed. Now, ancient Egyptians put a lot of emphasis on dreams and their meanings. They had many gods and they were spiritual people and put emphasis on dreams. And here are these two Egyptians in prison and they've each had a dream, but they're stuck in prison. So they don't have access to the interpreters who would unlock the symbolism of dreams normally for them. So certainly this is a discouraging moment for them. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Now in these next few verses, we can learn a lot about the heart of Joseph. Notice how Joseph responds to the prisoners. We see in his heart how he treats them. First, he notices them. Joseph can see that they are troubled, see that they are discouraged. He's not unaware of the situations of others. He cares. That brings us to verse 7. Another thing we see about Joseph in his heart. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Two things this tells us about Joseph. First, it shows that his countenance likely was up here even in prison. Someone who is downcast themselves would not likely concern themselves in prison with others who might be downcast. But secondly, we notice and see that Joseph is compassionate. He genuinely cares about these two men who are prisoners. And we might look at Joseph's circumstances up to this point, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, now imprisoned falsely. And we might think that he had every reason to ignore the feelings of other fellow inmates, but he's compassionate towards them. Why are your faces downcast today? It's the work of the Lord in his heart. So it goes on in verse 8, they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, please Tell them to me. Again, we learn about Joseph's heart here. Immediately, the first thing that Joseph thinks is God and his ability to help. Joseph's saying, you don't don't need an Egyptian interpreter. You don't need books on dreams. You need God. And so he demonstrates Faith, assurance that God can and will answer and provide. And again, he's compassionate. He asks, please, please tell them to me. I want to help you. That's 
That's the sense that we get from Joseph here. Tell them to me. It's compassion. And then we get to verse 9, and it goes into a long section from verses 9 through 19, explaining the dreams and interpretations. The, ch- the chief cupbearer tells his dream a three branch vine appears. It budded, sprouted blossoms, became clusters of grapes that were then plucked by the cupbearer, squeezed into Pharaoh's cup, placed into the king's hand so he could drink. That's, that's a significant part of the dream. The king is holding the cup, right? He gets the cup. And so the interpretation Joseph gives is good. It's very good. To have your head lifted up signified Dignity, honor, just as the contrast to that, having your hanging your head signifies shame. Jesus says your, your head is going to be lifted up. You're going to be restored. Now we note here, Joseph, Joseph blesses, right? Probably amazes the cupbearer. You can imagine the cupbearer being distraught and hearing this interpretation and the joy and the, even the amazement. Here's this there's this fellow inmate who's now interpreting this dream and, in, and the encouragement that would come, but certainly the amazement that how would this man interpret this dream? But Joseph is still in prison. And so he, he asks the cupbearer, remember me. When it is well with you, remember me and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. In verse 15, this is really, we've, we've mentioned along the way, we don't really get the feelings that are going on inside of Joseph. All of these horrible things that are happening in his life, difficulty after difficulty after difficulty, and we don't get little windows into what's going on in his mind and his heart, but we have a, a little bit here in verse 15. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And so here in prison, he's, he's asking this cupbearer, remember me, say something, get me out of this place. But in this, we learn something about Joseph again. Joseph is completely confident in God and his ability and the interpretation that he's given. He knows, he is confident this interpretation is true. What does he say? When it is well with you. Not, hey, if it happens, like, if I got lucky... And you get out of here. Could you do me a favor? When this happens, when this takes place, when you're restored, remember me. Remember this. That's confidence. There's there's no doubting in him. Now, why does that matter? And what does that mean? It means that Joseph still believes the dreams that God gave him so many years before. Now, why why would we think that it means that? Because this, no one who had given up on the dreams that God had given to them would say to the prisoner, interpretation comes and belongs to God. And have the assurance that it will come to pass the way that Joseph does here. If he had given up on his dreams, certainly he wouldn't have confidence to say, 
Do not interpretations come from the Lord? And then have the confidence to say, when it comes to pass, when it takes place, when it is well with you, remember me. And so Joseph gives him hope and then asks him, remember me. And then we get the account of the baker. At this point, you can imagine the baker hearing this account. He's like, okay, this is pretty good. Maybe he was reluctant to tell his dream in the first place, but such a favorable report about the cupbearer, why not? And so he tells his dream. And in the baker's dream, he bore three baskets upon his head, this feast for Pharaoh. All sorts of of baked goods for Pharaoh. But before he can get this food to the king, the birds come and attack and eat. And none of the food makes it to Pharaoh. None of the food gets to the king. His interpretation isn't as nice, isn't as favorable. The baker, Joseph says, would have his head lifted up off of his body. He'll be hanged on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from him. That's a horrible thing to hear. In Egyptian culture, it was extremely important that the body be preserved in death. No body, there's no afterlife. That's their belief. And so for the head to be lifted up from the baker, the birds to eat the flesh would mean no afterlife. That would be devastating, devastating news. That's not just being told you're going to be killed. That's, going to, that's devastating. You won't live on into the afterlife. And so we get to verse 20 through 23. It was just as Joseph had said on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. The cupbearer is restored. This is Joseph had interpreted. The baker was hanged. Joseph, in the midst of this, is forgotten again. The cupbearer doesn't remember him. He forgets him. Imagine for Joseph, knowing that the two of them have been brought before the king, knowing the interpretations, waiting hours End of the day passes, three days, a week, a month, just hoping, waiting, waiting. And hope fades, forgotten again, left here in this prison. But not forgotten by the Lord. Some of the sections of the story of Joseph, they, they, they seem to all end on this sour note, right? Joseph sold into slavery. He's put into prison. 
Joseph is forgotten. But that doesn't mean that Joseph is alone. The Lord is with him and he's working through this. And so, so as we come to the end of this section, we ask our question again that we're asking each week. What does this have to do with the gospel? We have wonderful connections that we see in the text today. You consider that in the prison here, Joseph, Joseph is with two other prisoners. And ultimately, as we know the story now, one of the prisoners is lifted up to the king. The other is condemned. It's very reminiscent of the thieves on the cross. Luke chapter 23 32 through 43, Jesus is on the cross, two criminals who are being crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Luke gives us the account. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. By God's grace, in the prison with Joseph, one of the thieves is saved, lifted up to the king. The other is condemned. Both of the prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker, committed offense. We, we know that from verse 1. They offended the king, and they're both imprisoned. One is shown favor. The other is condemned. His condemnation, his head lifted off, birds Eating his flesh meant in Egypt that he would not have everlasting life. It's a wonderful picture, the gospel we see from the cross with the thief that professes faith in Jesus, given everlasting life. On the cross, the crosses, we have one who is innocent, he shouldn't be there, two who are guilty. And with the guilty ones, one is shown grace, one is shown favor, and one is condemned. That's what we see in the prison. Joseph, there, innocent. Two who are guilty, rightfully there. One is shown grace, one is condemned. It's grace. It's grace that saves The cupbearer is saved, rescued, because God is gracious and working to redeem His people. But we see another 
comparison and reminder of the gospel in Genesis 40. And that's through Joseph's compassion. What a wonderful picture. Joseph is compassionate. Joseph is sensitive toward the prisoners. And it's a reminder of the compassion of Christ. Jesus, our high priest, left his place of glory. Now, Joseph was in a place of glory, but he lost that place of glory. We know from Scripture, Jesus left and went to a place of suffering willingly. Joseph, we see in the prison, is engaging with the sorrows of these sinners, just as Christ will come and engage the sorrows of all sinners who come to Him. But this is the difference and the beauty that we see in Christ. Joseph would never have chosen to leave the place of honor. If you ask Joseph, however many years before, as he's in Potiphar's house and overseeing all of it, he he would never have chosen to leave there to go to prison, to go to this pit. But we have one who willingly, willingly left the place of honor to come to those of us here. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a wonderful picture of humility and grace we have in Christ and compassion that He would look at us, those who are rightfully deserving of death and punishment, with compassion. And Jesus, when He came leaving His throne, did not come telling dreams about one who would hang on a tree like the baker. No, He Himself came and was hung on a tree. The one who left his throne became the condemned. He was hung on a tree, treated like the baker, so that cupbearers like you and me could go free. And he invites us to come and to follow him. And he offers us everlasting life. Joseph asked the one who held the cup for the king to remember him. But he forgot. Jesus, as he comes and gives his life, gives us a cup and asks us to remember him. And we dare not forget. As we go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, hear the words of Paul. In the following instructions, I do not commend you Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. 
For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. As we go into this time where we take the Lord's Supper, let's examine our hearts. Are we truly remembering? We we read the story of of Joseph and and likely, whether we know the story or not, we're, we're always a bit sorrowful when we get to that verse, but he forgot him. But how, how much more sad ought we to be if we week in and week out are gathering together, given a cup and commanded by our Lord, remember me. And so often, so often we can just get into a place where it's just something we're used to doing. Are we truly remembering? Are we truly considering the Lord and His death and the hope that we have? As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Grace that is sufficient. Grace that, as Paul tells us, is lavished upon us. We praise you and we thank you and we ask you, Father, for your help in this time that as we hold the bread and the cup, as we partake together of them, that we would truly remember and rejoice in the sacrifice of you, Jesus. That you did not proclaim that another would die, but that you willingly came and died on our behalf. God, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That you condemned the innocent one so that we could have everlasting life. Help us to remember. Help us to rejoice. Help us to embrace the truths of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.